Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, gaffes and gotchas. That's what this is all about, isn't it? Here we are about to elect probably the most influential and powerful position on earth, someone to that position, and it seems all we hear about is who has the latest, biggest slip-up. A couple of weeks ago, just a few short blocks from this very spot, we had the most anticipated and watched vice presidential debate in history. Remember those helicopters flying overhead at 5.30 in the morning, right? Now, let me ask you this. Do you remember anything from that vice presidential debate? Anything that was said by anybody on that day? Well, you don't, because nobody's vote was going to be changed by anything said that night. The only thing that people were interested in was who was going to slip up the most. Was Joe Biden going to give one of his characteristic, complete, nonsense statements? Was Sarah Palin going to claim that she could see Russia from her house? Or was that Tina Fey? It doesn't matter anymore, does it? Is this any way to elect a president? To wait to see who can mess up the most? Gotcha. Now, I admit that I was not going to preach on this Matthew 22 text this morning. I'm preaching at a Reformation celebration this Sunday and thought I'd do a two-for-one, you know, uh, sermon sort of thing here. But here we are two weeks from the election. And in the gospel reading, Jesus brings up, render unto Caesar. The preacher can't duck this one, can he? So here we are. But I'm here to tell you that the election is not as important as you think. Gotcha politics are nothing new. Even Jesus faced it. Did you catch the way the Pharisees and the Herodians came up to Jesus? They said they wanted to entangle Jesus with words, that they came at him with malice. So when they came up to Jesus, it was sort of like Rush Limbaugh asking Barack Obama for an interview, or the New York Times innocently asking John McCain about his health records. They picked a very gotcha kind of question, too. Taxes. And not just any kind of taxes, the one paid directly to Rome. Other taxes were kind of hidden in the economy, but this one, every person had to pay every year right to the treasury that paid for the soldiers that were occupying their land, that paid for Pontius Pilate and his whole government in that area. This one was indelibly connected to Rome. The Herodians, of course, would be very interested in this tax because, well, they had their power by appointment from Rome. And if Jesus dissed Rome, the Herodians could throw all the might of the empire at him to silence his insurrection. And his question is even more gotcha than it appears on the face of it. We know from coins right at this period in Jesus' life that this was sort of a, a Joe the Plumber kind of an issue. Pilate wasn't known for his political sensitivities with the Jewish people. He didn't realize that certain things would be offensive to those who believed that there was only one God. 
And so Pilate, when he issued a new denarius during Jesus' lifetime, issued one that had the image of a uh, lampula on it, which is a sort of a container used in worship of Roman gods. Now, the Jews didn't take too kindly to this, so only a few coins with this image on it were minted, and in the same year and subsequent years, a different coin was minted with a staff on it, much less offensive to Jewish sensitivities. So it might well be that when the Herodians and the Pharisees came up to Jesus and asked him about a tax that was paid with this coin, it was a topic that was on every blog and every 24-hour news channel in Judea that week. A very gotcha kind of a situation. What do you think about Pontius Pilate and his coin, Jesus? Because now we gotcha. Matthew 22 is full of gotcha kind of questions. Right after this, the Sadducees asked the question about one wife and seven brothers and whose would she be in the resurrection. Not because they care, they didn't even believe in the resurrection, but because they wanted to get Jesus. Then the Pharisees and the Sadducees gang up. What is the greatest commandment, Jesus? Not because they cared, but because they wanted to get Jesus. And finally, at the end of the chapter, Jesus puts an end to all of it with his own question, when no one dared ask him anything else. At the end of chapter 22 of Matthew, the time of trying to get Jesus was over with. The time of plotting to kill him had begun. So in this gotcha environment, it's not surprising that Jesus gives what is essentially a non-answer to the question. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. It's a pretty shrewd non-answer. The coin Jesus was likely looking at directly said exactly that on it. Caesaru Tiberiu, of Tiberius Caesar. This coin belongs to Tiberius Caesar. Jesus simply answered with what was written exactly on the coin. Herodians can't complain about that. And then to the Pharisees, he responds exactly the same way. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, that's what's on the coin. You Pharisees, give to God what is God's. It's a non-answer. It's not an exposition of the two kingdoms, the doctrine of the two kings. It doesn't give us a whole lot of theology to go with. It's simply Jesus saying, I am not going to answer your question because you are under condemnation. You are asking the wrong question, and so I refuse to answer. Taxes, whose coin, laws, you're asking the wrong thing. You see, this text may not give the answer to every question about the relationship between church and state, but it does teach us one thing pretty clearly. When you ask Jesus a question, Ask the right question. The question should not have been, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? The question should have been, who are you, Jesus, and what have you come to do? Because that's what Jesus has been trying to reveal all along. He is the son of David, the one who comes in the name of the Lord into his own city, humble and riding on a donkey. As this son of David, he has authority to purge his house 
the temple and cleanse it of the money changers. He is the son of the owner of the vineyard sent to collect the rent from the tenants at the proper time, but who was thrown outside and killed. And he is the one who throws a wedding banquet and invites all to come, but some refused and are left outside. Who is this man and what did he come to do? That's the question they should have asked. In our day, two weeks before this election, we have all kinds of questions. We're being told that the economy is in the tank. We're being told that $700 billion bailouts are chump chains and aren't going to change anything. The price of gas goes from 390 to 270 and back up again. And it's easy for us, even us, the people of God, to be worked up and ask the wrong question. Who will save us in this time of crisis, we ask? What will happen if the other guy gets elected, if we have the wrong president, if we have the wrong secretary of the treasury, if we have the wrong Supreme Court justices, and we get worked up about all these kinds of questions? I've heard from the lips of people on both sides of the political spectrum that if the other guy is elected, they plan to move to Canada. And I actually think some of them are serious. Now think about that for a second. Is it really that bad? And besides, has anybody asked Canada if they really want to take those kind of people? I've always kind of wondered that. But you see, that's the wrong question. Our destiny is not in the hands of the next president, no matter who he or she may be. Yes, be a good citizen. Vote. Live in this country according to its laws. Participate in government. But as you do so, do it with the confidence and the assurance that this Jesus Christ reigns over all creation, whether Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, whatever. Our lives are in the hands of the one who came not to pander, not to please, not to persuade, not to win us over, not to get our vote, but to win for us, to win for you, life. Indeed, some did reject him. And in that rejection, Jesus was killed. But the reign of God was not ended with the death of Jesus, no matter whose coin it was, no matter whose soldiers were pounding the nails into his hands and his feet, because three days later, Jesus came alive again from the tomb. His reign was only confirmed and shown to be eternal and extending over all time and all people. And in this reign, we need not worry about what to eat or to drink. We need not worry about what to wear or who's running the economy but seeking first his kingdom, his reign, all these things are added to us as well. Whose coin is it? 
whose country is it? Well, it sort of doesn't matter. Who is this man? What did he do for you? That's what matters. No gotchas, no gaffes, only gift. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.